0: Today's scriptural reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 17. Verse 12, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. I need no introduction of our speaker of our preacher today, uh, Dr. Wong Chi Thank
1: you pastors, brothers, and sisters in Christ. Shalom. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for your life-giving word and for the gift of your Spirit to open our hearts to listen and to understand them. Grant us faith to know that even though we don't have all the answers to life's questions, you do. And let us rest contentedly in you for that. So, Lord, speak to us and make our hearts good soil for our good and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine that we are on a time machine and we have been transported back to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago in AD 33. What headlines Would you expect to read if you open up the Jerusalem Times on a particular Monday morning. Tiberius Caesar Augustus, the second Roman emperor, has a new wife, opened a new aqueduct, conquered a new area, perhaps tucked in the little corner of the news on page 3 would be a short article reporting a sudden earthquake that happened in the Jerusalem outskirts a day earlier with tombs being split open and some tombs found empty. The Roman soldiers and temple police are searching for some bodies that have gone missing. One tomb in particular, that of the counselor, Joseph of Arimathea, was under close scrutiny. There were rumors going around saying that this was no random Tomb Raider type of vandalism, but that the dead man laid there three days earlier, one Jesus of Nazareth, who had been executed by crucifixion for claiming to be the King of the Jews, had risen from the dead. He had been seen by some of his followers, mainly women of course, and no credible witnesses have come forward to confirm or to dispute these claims before the authorities. So further inquiries, were ongoing. Over the past two millennia, we have read of many life-changing events in history. The conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine to become a Christian in AD 312, causing the people of the entire Roman Empire to convert forcibly to Christianity. The establishment of the Islamic world over 1,400 years across Africa and Euro-Asia and in the early 20th century, the First and Second World Wars. And then, of course, we know about the Jewish Holocaust, the killing fields of Cambodia, the use of the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, man's first flight into space, the Lunar Apollo Landings, 8, nine, eleven, and most recently, the sars covid 2 pandemic. Compared to these headlines-grabbing events, the resurrection of Jesus Christ seemed to be placed on a back burner. But is that really so? Was Jesus' resurrection really so insignificant, so tame? What had happened to the good news that had turned the first-century world upside down? I enjoy reading detective stories, okay? So explore with me. What could be the logical explanations for a missing body in an empty tomb? They went to the wrong tomb, the tomb had been robbed, the body removed to another place. The person was not dead, he revived after being placed in the tomb and was helped to escape. Or the dead person rose from the dead. So let's turn to the Bible and see what it has to say. as to claims that the people had gone to the wrong tomb. Okay, if you look at John's account in chapter 19, it tells us that Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. And with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. And taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. And this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. So there could be no mistaking where Jesus was laid. And because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And if you look at Luke chapter 23, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Similarly, in Mark 15, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. So it couldn't have been the wrong tomb. What about if the tomb had been robbed? Again, we read in Matthew chapter 27, and it was the chief priests and the Pharisees who went to Pilate, set a guard. We know these people could come and steal the body, right? So Pilate gave them a guard, and they protected that tomb, even sealing it. So there was no way The disciples could have gone there and stolen the body. So, the third thing, was Jesus really dead? Who was he crucified by? The Romans. Elite death squad. How could they not know whether he was dead or alive? So, in Mark 15, we read, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, they asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that he was, he gave the body to Joseph. And similarly, in John 19, But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of water and blood. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. So, we come to the last explanation Jesus rising from the dead. So, we read the account in Mark 16. As they, this is the women, okay, entered the tomb. They saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. And the alternative ending to Mark's gospel, then they quickly reported all these instructions to those around Peter. And it carries on. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them when they were walking in the country. And this is what we heard, right, from Dr. Lee's sermon in the journey to Emmaus these returned and reported it to the rest but they did not believe them either and in John 20 of course we hear the familiar story of Jesus appearing to them on the night of his resurrection when the disciples when the 10 disciples were there and Jesus said to them peace be with you and after he said this he showed them his side. His hands inside, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And then, because Thomas wasn't there, so a week later, Jesus appeared again to them. And again, this time, he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it on my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 17, tells us, If we preach that Christ was raised from the dead, how can some of you say that the dead will not be raised to life? If they won't be raised to life, Christ himself wasn't raised to life. And if Christ wasn't raised to life, Our message is worthless, and so is your faith. So all of us can just pack up and go home. There's nothing to say anymore. If the dead won't be raised to life, we have told lies about God by saying he raised Christ to life when he really did not. So if the dead won't be raised to life, Christ wasn't raised to life. And unless Christ was raised to life, your faith is useless and you are still in your sins. During the days when I was examining whether the biblical account of the resurrection were credible or not, I knew that the crux of the issue was whether he had really resurrected bodily from the dead if he had then Jesus was truly whom he claimed to be the son of God and saviour of the world if not he was a fraud and a deceiver totally unworthy of worship and devotion it would seem that I wasn't alone in thinking this way the apostle Paul also challenged the Corinthian church to examine the evidence for his gospel regarding Christ's resurrection from the dead in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 to 8 Paul wrote my friends i want you to remember the message i preached and that you believed and trusted You will be saved by this message if you hold firmly to it. But if you don't, your faith was all for nothing. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, then by the Twelve, and after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. You can see that to Paul, the trustworthiness of his message of Jesus was dependent upon Jesus having been raised from the dead. And he spoke about the Gospel as Jesus' death for our sins in verses 3b and 4a, and then dedicated the rest of the verses 4b to verse 8 on the matter of the resurrection. Indeed. Without Christ's resurrection, the gospel is untrue. Faith is worthless, and there is no hope for anyone beyond the grave. and there is no good news to proclaim at all. And Jesus said the same thing to Nicodemus. Do so you remember in John chapter three, verses 14 to 15, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. This lifting up implies not only His manner of death upon the cross, but also His resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God the Father. His being lifted up in death and then resurrected to life and glory. So why does the Gospel of Jesus Christ hang on His resurrection? And what did it actually accomplish? We had just spent the past six weeks contemplating Lent, Good Friday and Easter. I don't think I need to reiterate the teaching of the Church on these significant events. But when I look at the resurrection of Jesus, one of the most interesting facts is that even though he had repeatedly told them that he was not going to stay dead in the tomb, none of his disciples ever believed him. Take, for example, the passage from Mark chapter 8, verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. We have heard earlier that when the first witnesses shared their accounts of the empty tomb and their encounter with the resurrected Jesus with other disciples, all of them had refused to believe their testimonies. Until they could see and touch the body of the risen Jesus, none of them had been been convinced. And this is because Jews did not think of the afterlife as Christians did. After all, the Hebrew scriptures have very little to say about this. Most of their thinking was developed in post-biblical times and is often mysterious. And it could take many forms and was ambiguous and usually centered on earth. And it was something that would happen only at the end of the age or the last day. So the Pharisees believed that when the Messiah comes, their flesh and their spirits would be reunited with their resurrected bodies and they will live on earth, which is renewed and for all eternity. The Sadducees did not believe anything of that kind, right? They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in resurrection. There was no life after death. No heaven. And most Jews deny the concept of heaven as a gated community, but rather having an open-door policy with our actions determining our fate rather than our beliefs. So, it wasn't that much of a stretch of imagination, right, that we see them doubtful and incredulous at the initial reports of the sightings of the risen Jesus. To them, the dead could not be raised in the middle of history. Yet look at the patient, long-suffering love of our Lord when He repeatedly appeared to His uncertain and fearful disciples. Instead of berating them as cowards and miserable failures, He gently greeted them with shalom, peace be with you. He showered them with his love, gave assurance by showing them his wounds in his hands and his side and his feet, and even eating a piece of fish before their startled eyes. He was no ethereal spirit, but had a physical body, yet unlike the one which he had had before. But What did it all mean? Why did Jesus show himself to them? Why must he prove to them that he was really alive from the dead? What's he asking them to do? Isn't it so that the apostles would be so convinced of the truth of the gospel that they must now bring to the world even if it would cost them everything to do so? The glory of the risen Lord would transform their worldview consume all their fears they would demonstrate the power of the resurrection in themselves that once being dead in hope in life in vitality and purpose they are now Alive in Christ because He lives they can fearlessly face all their tomorrows with confidence even if it meant going to their crosses after all the call of the Master has always been if anyone wishes to come after me he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me And history tells us that virtually all of them were martyred for their witness to Christ. Similarly, doesn't Jesus' resurrection speak to us today of the promise of life in the face of certain death, of hope even when facing the grave of our nearest and dearest of a joy that cannot be snuffed out even when everything seems to be tumbling, crashing down around us. From the first Easter morning until now, only one tomb remains empty. Don't we all long for more? Yet, God asks us, to trust His divine plan of which we see only the beginning. All this while, I had labored under the premise that God only wants my present lifetime to serve Him until I die. I had forgotten that He also wants my deaths, my Lazarus. And who are the last that I keep buried in my heart, that I cover over with layers and layers of grave clothes? The grief, the loss, my dad, my family members, my friends, my pets. My lost dreams of having a family, children, grandchildren. What about you, brothers and sisters? Who are the Lazarus that you need to give to Christ, to offer to Him? Who among us have not stood before the graves of our Lazarus, pleading with God to do his miracle just one more time? He could, but his answer may be, yes. But not yet. Can we accept that answer, trusting him to keep that promise? Could we, like the psalmist in Psalm 126, verses 5-6, to sow seeds of tears, trusting that we will reap a harvest of joy in his time? Remember Paul in writing Romans 8, 38-39 The triumph of Jesus came not by avoiding the cross, but through it. Similarly, if we are to follow him, our triumph over evil and Satan in this earthly life will come not by avoiding the crosses which being faithful to Christ will incur, but by carrying them daily on our backs and willingly dying upon them. Our hope is in Christ, His resurrection, and His triumphant return, not in wielding weapons of mass destruction, in thought, word, or action. Besides, who does resurrection come upon but the dead? So what does Jesus' resurrection say to us today? The resurrection proves that all his claims are true. Christ is Lord, therefore Caesar is not. He is the Son of God, sent from heaven to be Saviour, Redeemer and King over God's creation. Through his death and resurrection, he has saved us from the pleasure of sin, the penalty of sin, the power of sin and one day the presence of sin. Forgiveness of sins is now proclaimed in his name. Shame and guilt has no further hold upon us. Acts 13, 38-39 tells us, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. As the prophets foretold, the Holy Spirit is now poured out upon all believers, bringing a new heart, a new life, a new identity as children of God, boundless hope, unwavering faith, ceaseless joy and love that will never let us go. His shed blood is the seal of the eternal new covenant which God has now established with us. Christ has reconciled humankind to God in Him. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace will kiss each other. And we can confidently look forward to the day of the Lord when there will be no more enmity between humankind and God, among humankind, between nature and against self. God's shalom will prevail in the new Jerusalem which He, will establish Death has been defeated He has conquered the grave The keys of death and Hades are now in His hands Although all of us will die death no longer has the last laugh In union with Christ we shall rise again in the age to come God's dwelling place will once more be with us. Emmanuel shall come and he will remain with us forever. A new life, a new and glorified body, a new city, a new kingdom, a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation, all these will be ours through the promise of the resurrected Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In light of this, let us quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Let us instead remember the Gospel which is the power of God to save us and give us life here and now. The Apostle Paul reminds us that we were buried with Christ through baptism into death. And therefore, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life by the Spirit. Let us walk worthy of our calling, in the newness of our minds, in love, as children of light, and in wisdom. The challenge now is for us to take hold of this spirit-filled life and to go and be His witnesses wherever He sends us, that those now living in darkness will see His light and be drawn to Him. May the Lord grant that His church be ready for this commission. Let us pray. Father, you have given us life, yet we are all destined to die. You have given us hope, yet we are encumbered by disappointments, suffering, and pain, handicapped throughout our days. You say you have saved up our tears in a bottle of remembrance. Yet you weigh us in the scales of divine justice and we are found wanting. But what if your scales are calibrated, not in grams and ounces of tithes and offerings, but in units of faithful reverence to God, loving kindness to others, good stewardship, of natural resources, equitable distribution of wealth and opportunities. Where then will we stand? Would your church hide her face in shame at your coming? O Lord, have mercy upon your people. Heal our hurts, mend our brokenness pour your soothing balm over our fretful anxieties and uncertainties. Draw us close to you, that we might look up and see in your face the love that would never let us go. In this assurance, Lord, strengthen us in the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might so go into your world bearing your yoke across our necks and follow you wholeheartedly till Christ be acknowledged as Lord and God and every knee bow to his glory and praise. Amen.